Welcome to Beer and Fear Late Night. Oh. This is the late night after hours stream. Oh my goodness. Adults only. <laughs> 18 plus. Actually, let's be honest. Adults weren't going to talk about like 30 year olds. <laughs> yes, those are adults. Yeah, even then. Mm. There's a very loose term for adult. the 43rd episode of beer and fear my name is Paige. my name is zach and i don't know how this is all gonna edit down but yeah we've never recorded an episode this late it's beer and fear after hours beer and fear late night beer and fear after dark new yeah new special beer and fear after dark oh it's an adult swim adult, not the tv show beer and fear adult swim yeah not the tv, but not network. The TV show uh yeah put on your floaties because <laughs> it's, it's about to get real 10 minutes to midnight and uh, we're gonna drink some beer and talk about forgot no claustrophobia <laughs> we talk about claustrophobia what a cool topic i stumbled upon it originally i was trying to find something to pair with the beer that i felt was like like a folklore character or something scary and spooky but i decided to go with a phobia instead that's cool and you're uh consistently picking things that are not on the list which i also appreciate Claustrophobia was on the list? It wasn't. I oh, think wow. So. No. That's so surprising. Uh, very cool. I'm excited. Excited for the beer because this is, uh, again, part of the group of beers that you've been hyping up uh, for so often. So This one I'm not as excited about is the one that I'm going to do last. The last one mm. I am very excited about. I'm pre-gaming with a truly, yes. truly fruit punch. That won't upset your tummy. Which is amazing. I have to try them. By the way. Yeah, I bought the variety pack um, from a suggestion of one of my coworkers, and they're pretty damn good. But this is just how I, uh, after a stressful day at work, I come home and I drink <laughs> truly <laughs> like a basic white chick. Yeah, a little bit like a white bitch. Mm-hmm. How was your week? Um, I started my new job. Yay, congratulations. Yeah, I started my new job. It was only day one. I'm off today and Thursday just because that is the schedule that my manager is on. Uh-huh. Um, so I follow that to shadow them. But I like it a lot. It's nice to be around animals again. This is going to sound weird, but I miss the smell. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I bet there's a distinct smell. It's a distinct dog smell. And I, <laughs> I missed it. <laughs> Well, that's good. It's just because you're so used to that that level of, you know, that atmosphere and, and being around, you know, so many dogs. It's just kind of like, oh, my God, I missed this. I missed everything about this. Sure. So what exactly, uh, what are, like, some of the responsibilities? So I'm just taking care of the dogs and the cats. I'm, you know, feeding them, giving them medication, um, doing paperwork for them. Well, not even really. They don't really do paperwork anymore. They do things online. The dogs don't do paperwork? No, the dogs don't do paperwork anymore. Can you imagine that? You get a little stamp pad, they put it on their (laughs) paw, just sign these documents. Get it done, Clarice. The dogs found a way to make everything electronic now. Actually, everything is electronic. They have an iPad where they file everything, and it's so much nicer than where I was working before. Yeah, just abolish paper altogether. Honestly, paper is useless. Good. I'm excited to hear more and more about your job. I'll talk your ear off. The week-by-week, play-by-play, whatever you want to call it. Um, Finishing packing. I'm definitely putting that off. I got a lot packed. I don't own that much. I'm going through and throwing things away, like I said um, last week. But there's still more I could probably get rid of. Sure. As the time grows closer, the less I'm ready. End up um, collecting a lot of junk, as you can probably (laughs) tell from my place, too. I used to be a pack rat when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. That's what my grandparents called it. I'd say a mini hoarder. I would like to hold on to things and bring things with me places. So like I'd have like these like little doll toys or whatever and I'd bring them around. Like I'd go to the park with my grandpa. We'd ride our bikes there, me and my sisters. And I'd have this bag of like little doll parts that I would just take (laughs) with me, like a little grocery bag because I wanted it with me. 
Interesting. I'm pretty sure that's related to something weird on some level. <laughs> you know, it's probably some repressed mental illness of some kind that I don't know about yet. Huh. Knowing me. Never knew that about you. But now I don't hold on to anything. Mm. Very rarely I keep things. It has to have very sentimental value. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've, my mom is definitely like that. She she keeps a lot of stuff. She has a lot of like, all my school papers, a lot of my old stuff from when I was a kid growing up. Um, I actually went over there recently, and she was showing me some old clothing of when I was a baby, like a newborn. So she had my outfits when I was a newborn, and she had the hat that I wore after I was born, like immediately after I was born, the hat that I was wearing. Mm-hmm to keep my little head warm and it was about the size of my palm and it was so crazy looking at this hat that was about the size of my hand um yeah she kept everything i took some stuff with me i have a box in my closet that's like got all all of my old really like really childhood baby stuff Mm -hmm. memorabilia just to keep around my mom put together a box of um all of the things she held on to Mm that we gave her and things that she made for us. Mm. So like I have a partially filled out baby book. (laughs) (laughs) Shouldn't get to everything. (laughs) And I've got like, you know, my original birth certificate. I've got like my first footprints. I've got like art I did when I was in kindergarten. Oh yeah. She's got all that stuff too. And honestly, I didn't want it. (laughs) I was like, this is just more shit for me to hold on to. But she's like, Yo, no, it's good memories. You guys need to have them. I know, yeah. I'm like, you're just trying to get rid of stuff because you live in an <laughs> RV. And you don't want to bog, be bogged down by things. Yeah, she was trying to give me some of that stuff. And it's like, uh, I don't really don't So now it's it. just in a box in my closet. Yeah. I took one box of like all of my old like school assignments. All that crap in a box that's in my closet. And I'm thinking someday, you know, decades down the road, can open it and look through it. and like, wow. Reminisce. Yeah. Bring me back. Because you'll most likely forget about those times. Right. How was your week? <laughs> it's good. What did I do? Great question. Did you write it down? We recorded that week. Oh, all I did was work, according to my phone. I'm not surprised. But I wrote some things down. <laughs> Thank God. Uh, <laughs> do you hear about this? There's uh, some kind of skin treatment or skin therapy thing. Where you can take a frozen cucumber and rub it on your face. <laughs> um, my, my coworkers mentioned this, and I was just like, "What in the fuck?" You you uh, you cut a cucumber uh-huh. in half, and then you freeze it, uh-huh. and then once it's frozen, and take it out of the freezer, let it thaw for like a minute, and then you take the the cut part, you know, like the open part of the cucumber and you rub it on your face why <laughs> i don't what I don't, does it do i don't really know it's supposed to be relaxing and it's supposed to help somehow with your skin it makes me think of like the stereotypical cucumbers uh, on the eyes cucumbers on the eyes thing so i mean i'm sure there's some property in cucumber like that, an, that helps any accident of some yeah. kind but the, the freezing part and it probably feels like nice and cold you know yeah um, you do that for like 10 minutes and <laughs> just rubbing this cucumber <laughs> on your face. It sounds like a uh, prank someone would pull on someone. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But, but they were mentioning that, and I think someone tried it. And uh, Now I'm going to have to give it a shot. They said, well, yeah, give it a shot. If you got a cucumber at home or next time you're out to the store, buy a cucumber, freeze it, or cut it in half, then freeze it, and then try it. And Rub then it all we'll, over your face. And then let us know how, how that worked out for you. Uh, I was driving home. And I was I was at a stoplight getting ready to turn left, and mm-hmm. I can hear people talking to each other. And I make my left turn, and it's people who are going to make their left on the opposite side of the intersection. Mm-hmm. So I pass them, and it's these two cars that are pulled up right next to, next to each other. They got their windows down. They're talking to each other. And I swear to God, I see one of them grab a head. They have a head that they're holding by the hair. I'm not fucking kidding. It it was so fucking weird. But I'm 98% sure this was a mannequin head. Mm-hmm. Which is still really weird to be passing from window to window at an intersection. Mm. 
but they were headed by the hair and they were passing it from car to car. I was like, what the hell? I have several questions, <laughs> going and on. I'm a little concerned about that 2% that you are not sure it was I a mannequin head. I was not 100% sure on this, but it, it looked like a mannequin head. But why would someone have a mannequin head and be I mean, passing it to someone else why not? in a vehicle? I've seen weird shit in cars. There is somebody that had a full like Yoda action figure, like foobs. It was big uh-huh. in their back car, like in the back of their car, and like it, it would like look out the back Interesting. seat. Interesting. I know some people do that, like uh, in more urban areas where they have like um, uh, carpool lanes on highways. They'll put like a dummy in their passenger seat. I know that's a thing, but that definitely threw me for a loop when I saw that driving. I home. would also be concerned. Yep. That was pretty scary. What a strange black market exchange. <laughs> Here's a whole human head. It's chopped off. I mean, you would have seen like. Yeah, there would have been some redness. Viscera. There would have been blood of some kind. I think it would have stood out more if it was real. It looked a little plasticky. Because you've seen a lot of. Yeah, mannequin heads. Yeah. You're all all too familiar with them. Well versed with them. That's all I got. I want to get the beer that we're going to drink at midnight. Um, So our beer is called. Well, it's from. A beer, a brewery we've a brewery, <laughs> a brewery, a brewery we've done before. Uh, Saint Arant. Oh yeah, yeah, we did them recently. Saint Arant Brewing. Look at that. Uh, and our beer is called Terror Dome. Terror Dome. Terror Dome. Okay. Uh, so we all know the Saint Arant story. Uh, it's small batch nano brewery yeah, inspired by a... travels and friendships made with the ever growing community of craft beers. They don't have a brew pub. Brewers, my bad. Not yeah. craft beers. They yeah. do not have a brew pub. Local. Low key. It I is like a it. double dry hopped IPA with Citra, Matuka, and Waima. Or uh, Waimea. I'm not sure how to pronounce the hops. How do you spell it? W A I M E A. Waimea? It has a 93 on Beer Advocate. Whoa! It is outstanding. It's got a score. Excellent. It does have a score. Um, so Beer Advocate has it listed as an IPA New England, but St. Iran has it listed as a DDH. Okay. IPA. Uh, it's a 7.8% ABV. Uh, it's overall score, 93, like I said, ranked 7,879. And then its average score is a 4.43. 7,879 overall or in the... Overall. Its style is 723. Wow. Okay. Not bad. You could choose St. Iran. They're doing good. I do have a review I want to read, but I'm going to read it after. Okay. They don't have descriptions of their beer, right? No. On their website. Yeah, that's one thing that that was lacking. Yeah. Um, So that's all we got was just the hops and then the double dry hop IPA, right? mm -hmm. There's a description on Beer Advocate. um, Okay. And I read this before and I made this decision because I'm dumb. (laughs) It's got strawberry flavoring in it. Uh Uh-oh. I but think you, you might be, you'll be okay. I'll be fine. Strawberry flavoring. Yeah. Fresh zested limes, blueberry, uh, blooming strawberry patches, pa- uh, passion fruit smoothies. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's a, quite a spin on a, a DDH IPA that we have haven't uh, experienced before. I'm excited. I'll grab the beer. Whoa. It's intense, right? <laughs> it's a dog and a cat. In a giant spaceship drill type thing, it's clearly the end of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a new location, brewed and canned at Temperance Beer Company, 2000 Dempster Street in Chicago. Artwork by same guy, Hugo Trejo. Store cold, drink fresh, 7.8, one pint. Oh. Ooh. She fizzy. I don't want to taste it. I didn't taste it. And, and I don't, oh, I don't, oh, I don't want got, to taste oh. it. I got beer on my fingers. I'm going to wipe it off on my cardigan. There's like too much for this can to handle. That's like, what? Hmm. It overflowed. Interesting. That's so weird. Watch out. She's me. Oh, wow. Jesus. I just wanted a good pour sound. That is a lot of foam. It smells so good in the glass. 
there's like definite fruit behind it. Yeah, this beard's not playing around. Not at all. Very pretty color, though. What was the other? Uh, oh, was it? Um, that was. I don't think that was a double dry. Was it a New England? No. Was it a hazy IPA? It's sitting right up there. Don't hurt yourself. No. Double dry hopped IPA is uh, was the other Saint Laurent that we did. It looked very similar to this. Hazy. Yeah, hazy IPA. That sort of color, that sort of look. Look Can't see through it. Stumps. It's a full ring. Yeah, but the foam is just relentless. Foamiest beer we've had. Mm-hmm. I'm just gonna go for it. It's half the glass, really. It just isn't the same. Yeah, it's strange. That's interesting. The aftertaste is so strange. It does not have a lot of bite to it. <laughs> what is your face? I'm sorry, I have no words. <laughs> Why? Oh my goodness. Do you like it? Holy cow. <laughs> I'm going to take that as a yes. This is unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> this is such a damn good beer. Everything about it I love. This foam is still going strong. Yeah. I can't. It's just pleasant. Okay, so... Thicker mouthfeel, mm-hmm. hardly any bite at all. Mm-hmm. The hops are not overbearingly bitter, um, but they're very present in the beer. And then the finish is fruity, but in a very strange way. Yes. Like, I'm blown away by how good this beer is. I am... Very content with this beer. <laughs> this is this is my, uh, without a doubt, favorite, probably my favorite New England IPA that I've ever had. Um, it's just so smooth. Yeah. It's super easy to drink. That's dangerous. Why do we always like the DDHs the most? Yeah. it's. Uh, I mean, hazy IPAs are super popular. They've uh, had such a big comeback. That beer renaissance we've talked about in previous episodes, Hazy IPA's definitely been one of the uh, front runners of that. And it's, it's no question why. They're just overall a very pleasant experience. Uh, a lot of the uh, higher rated beers that we've had on this show have been Hazy IPA's, New England IPA's. Um, just because of all, all the things that go into them that, that make them such an easy, enjoyable brew. But... Yeah, it's just, it's so, it's unbelievably smooth. And there's really not a whole lot of fizziness to it. It's, Mm-mm. I mean, it looks carbonated as hell because all the all the foam that sits, hangs around. But it's not, it doesn't taste fizzy. It doesn't taste harsh or bitter or... The foam, I don't know if you got a mouthfeel for the foam. It's so thick. Mm. It is like Cool Whip. <laughs> I'm trying to think of the, the fruits... You said strawberry something. Strawberry patches. Yeah. And fresh, I think I said lime. Fresh zested lime. But I have a review to read. Okay. We, I, I didn't even talk about the smell. I know you smelled it and you thought it smelled really good. Maybe I can, I can sense some of those in there. I don't know what the smell is. The smell is just pleasant. This review comes from Metter98. They're from New York. They gave it a 4.17 out of 5. They gave the look a 4.25, the smell of 4, the taste of 4.25, the feel of 4, and overall 4.25. Sure. So pretty good scores. The appearance, the beer is very hazy to cloudy yellow in color. It poured with a half-finger high white head that died down a bit, but consistently left a short head covering the surface and lots of lacing down the sides of the glass. If you pour like Paige, you'll have <laughs> mostly foam. <laughs> Uh, the smell, light to moderate aromas of gooseberry and lime. Gooseberry. Gooseberry. The taste has flavors of lychee along with notes of lime and hints of gooseberry. Little to no bitterness is perceptible. Mm-hmm. It feels medium bodied and juicy on the palate with a moderate amount of carbonation. Overall, this beer started out with lots of aromas of gooseberry and lime, but softened up as it warmed up and the lychee flavors and the taste also helped to mellow things out. Okay. Yeah, it's accurate. the The smell is unbelievable, and I I wish I could be better at describing it, but maybe that's lime. 
It's just I want this as a cologne. Kind of smells like new car. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 yeah, it's strange. I feel like I'm gonna regret drinking this. No, I don't think so. But I like it so much. <laughs> it's just that that is without a doubt a very elegantly crafted New England IPA. No negatives about it. Rate it. I'll have to save one for Jack. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, he would. He would definitely. This is. The, yeah. This is definitely a beer that I would love to share with people. Mm-hmm. It's just incredible. Good on you. You guys know what you're doing. I'll put it on a level. You know what? I'll save that for the end. Never mind. All right. Yeah. I'll save it for the end. So this episode's on claustrophobia. Yes. Terror Dome. I was. I mean, I can kind of see with the name. You know, there's some tie in there. I was thinking about. Um, there's movies about and like sci-fi stories about being trapped inside of a dome, and I'm like, that would feel really claustrophobic. Oh, okay. I didn't. I I can't say. I, I don't know if I can name any of those, but there's one literally just called Dome. Dome. Someone trapped in a dome, huh? A whole bunch of people trapped in a dome. Oh. Claustrophobia, as we all know, is the fear of Santa Claus. <laughs> ho ho ho. Uh, triggers may vary from person to person, but may include the redness of Santa's outfit, mm-hmm. the rosiness of his cheeks. That's terrifying. Jolly mannerisms. Yes. Uh, repeated checking of lists. Gift giving. And gift give. I didn't include that on there, but yeah, I can see that. And the ability to defy gravity via use of a sleigh. Okay, that's just very on the nose. Mm-hmm. His jolly red nose. Symptoms could include an adverse reaction to wrapped packages, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, hearing sounds that aren't present, especially a faint, seemingly distant ho ho ho, or the slay of the slaying sounds of jingle bells. And you get the bells and um, the ringing of the ears upon hearing a Burl Ives song. A what? Burl Ives. Have a holy oh. jolly Christmas. Wow, that was great. Dun, 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 dun. Well, it keeps going. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't stop. That's Burl Ives. Good to know. Yeah, it's just... Oof. I've never had a name for that. <laughs> That's his name. Good to know. <laughs> uh, the fear of Santa Claus is actually aptly named Santaphobia. Oh, it's not claustrophobia. No. <laughs> and it's typically suffered by young children. Oh. This fear is linked to uh, Christogenia tichophobia. Fear of Christians? Fear of Christmas. Oh. <laughs> well, then. But I feel like people with uh, Christogenia tichophobia would also be a little afraid of Christians, too. Ah, it kind of t- all ties very in. afraid of Christians. A phobia is an extreme or irrational fear of or aversion to something. Mm-hmm. More specifically, a phobia is a type of anxiety disorder defined by a persistent and excessive fear of an object or situation. They typically result in a rapid onset of fear and are present for more than six months. Claustrophobia is the fear of confined spaces. Mm-hmm. It can be triggered by many situations or stimuli, including elevators, especially when crowded to capacity, Oof. windowless rooms, and hotel rooms with closed doors and sealed windows. Those are very specific. They were. Even bedrooms with a lock on the outside, small cars, and tight-necked clothing can induce a response in those with claustrophobia. Who has a bedroom with a lock on the outside? What are you, Cinderella? An abused ginger <laughs> child hiding in the attic? I'm so confused. I thought of like people who are like taken hostage or like kidnap situations. I don't I mean, know. That's I, strange. I would be scared of the kidnapping. My claustrophobia would not be my main focus in that moment. It's typically classified as an anxiety dis- disorder, which often results in panic attacks. One study indicates that anywhere from 5 to 10% of the world population is affected by severe claustrophobia, but only a small percentage of these people receive some kind of treatment for the disorder. The term claustrophobia comes from Latin claustrum, meaning a shut-in place, mm-hmm. and Greek phobos, meaning fear. Claustrophobia is classified as a mental and behavioral disorder, specifically an anxiety disorder. Symptoms generally develop during childhood or adolescence, and it's typically thought to have one key symptom, fear of suffocation. Mm. Being enclosed or thinking about being enclosed in a confined space can trigger fears of not being able to breathe properly and running out of oxygen. It's not always the small space that triggers these emotions. But it's more the fear of the possibilities of what could happen while confined to that area. When anxiety starts to reach a certain level, the person may start to experience sweating and or chills, accelerated heart rate and rise in blood pressure, dizziness, fainting spells, lightheadedness and frozen in fear, 
dry mouth, hyperventilation, hot flashes, shaking or trembling, and a sense of butterflies in the stomach, nausea, headache, numbness, a choking sensation, tightness in the chest, chest pain and difficulty breathing, an urge to use the bathroom, confusion or disorientation, and fear of harm or illness. An urge to use the bathroom? When you gotta go, you gotta go. This is my panic response? Yep. I gotta pee? Gotta poop. Uh, It's like when people, it's like when octopus, like, shooting. Yeah. It's like, this is my panic response. It's just like that. I should be. The fear of enclosed spaces is an an irrational fear. Most claustrophobic people who find themselves in a room without windows consciously know that they aren't in danger. Yet, these same people will be afraid, possibly terrified, to the point of incapacitation. Aren't all phobias irrational? I... I feel I feel like that'd be a, an, a, a safe uh, assumption to make about most of them, <clears throat> but these people don't know why they're they're afraid. The neurological cause is due to the amygdala. Bless you. Thank you. The amygdala is needed for the conditioning of fear or the creation of a flight or flight fight or flight response. You just flight or flight, fly, just run leave. away. Dr. Dominic T. Chang believes that a phobia's roots are in this fight-or-flight response. The amygdala's nuclei send out impulses to other nuclei, which influence respiratory rate, physical arousal, the release of adrenaline, blood pressure, heart rate, behavioral fear response, and defensive responses, Mm -hmm. which may include freezing up. These these reactions constitute an automatic failure in a panic panic attack. How much is this beer? (sighs) 7.8. You also had a truly. Half of a truly, I still got more. A study was done which found the right amygdala was smaller in patients who suffered from panic disorders. This causes interference, which in turn causes abnormal reactions to adverse stimuli. In claustrophobic people, this translates as panicking or overreacting to a situation in which the person finds themselves uh, physically confined. So, people who already suffer from panic disorders, they have a smaller amygdala is what the study is saying and that in turn causes like the snowball effect which causes them to panic or overreact because of their amygdala how dare you talk about my small amygdala yeah i got a big old amygdala up here (laughs) watch out claustrophobia results as the mind comes to connect confinement with danger it is it often comes as a consequence of a traumatic childhood uh, traumatic childhood experiences although the onset can come at any point in an individual's life in most cases claustrophobia seems to be the result of past experiences such an ex- experience can occur only once to multiple times sometimes making a permanent impression on the mind a few examples of common experiences that could result in the onset of claustrophobia in children or adults, are as follows. A child, or less commonly an adult, is shut into a pitch black room and cannot find the door or the light switch. That happened to me once. I oh. I was, uh, I don't remember how old I was. I was real little, maybe five or six. And I was over at my grandparents' house, was in the bathroom, doing bathroom things. Uh-huh. And I had the door closed and it was locked. I locked the door. How old were you? Maybe five or six. Oh, okay, you were a baby. After I was done, I, for whatever reason, turned off the lights. Okay. Were you going to play Bloody Mary? I wasn't. I don't know what I was planning, but it was pitch black at this point, and I could not, for the life of me, get out of the bathroom. I couldn't find the light switch. I couldn't unlock the door. I was stuck in this bathroom calling for help. Your dumbass five or six-year-old self turned the goddamn lights off. Because I turned the lights off in this bathroom. The fire department was called out and had to break down the door. You fucking kidding me right now? No. To let me out of this bathroom. This is a story you have never told me. No, I've never told you this. I can't with you right now. <laughs> this, so this happened to me once. You are not allowed to go anywhere alone now. I was real little. Yeah. I also remember when I was in kinder, like, uh, I don't know if it was preschool, kinder care or whatever. Fuck we had a bunch of, a bunch of us were in the bathroom doing hood rat shit. Hood and rat shit. And someone, I was in one of the stalls of the toilet, and someone shut the lights off, uh-huh. and I couldn't see where I was walking, and I took a step, and I stepped right in the toilet. <laughs> How did you step so high? No, they were short toilets, because we were little. Yeah, but like, that would imply that you had like... <laughs> yeah, I was like trying to find my way. Were you a tall way. child? So, uh, I don't... I mean, I'm 
I'm average height now. Yeah, but like you know how sometimes there's like you're the tall kid in school, and then all sure. of a sudden everyone dwarfs you. I don't think so. I just think I don't know. I took a step and my foot landed in a bunch of water, and I was very sad. I'm just it, imagining you're like high stepping in the dark because <laughs> <laughs> they shut the lights off. But yeah, that fire department store. I'll never forget that. I'm such an idiot. I can't believe that. So, well, you were a child. <laughs> I wouldn't call yourself an idiot. I'd call you a child. A <laughs> uh, few more examples. Um, a child gets shut into a box, <laughs> is locked in a closet, falls into a deep pool and cannot swim. Oh, well, that's terrifying. Gets separated from their parents in a large crowd and gets lost. Okay. Sticks their head in between the bars of a fence and cannot get out. Crawls into a hole and gets stuck or cannot find their way back. Stuck in a well. Is left in their parents' vehicle. Oh. Or is in a crowded area with no windows, such as a classroom or basement, and has run-ins with other people, or is put there as a means of punishment. Well, there are some people that are truly fucked up. Yep. In this world. A lot of questions. But not the guys from St. Arant, because they make a great fucking beer. Let me tell you. <laughs> you good? You can't get over this beer. It's good. MRI machines can trigger claustrophobia. Oh, God, yeah. An MRI scan entails lying still for some time in a narrow tube. In a study involving claustrophobia and MRI, it was reported that 13% of patients experienced a panic attack during the procedure. I've never had an MRI. Have you? Yes. Oh. Uh, when I was a kid, I was in second grade, so I was however old you are in second grade. Seven? Probably. I don't remember. Seven or eight? <laughs> Um, but I had appendicitis, so they had to do an MRI on me. So they were like, okay, lay still. Ooh. And it was terrifying. I don't even have claustrophobia, and it was no. terrifying. Yeah, that's uh, interesting. I've never never had an MRI, but I think I'd be okay. I don't know. But uh, the procedure has been linked not only to the triggering of pre-existing claustrophobia, but also to the onset of the condition in some people. S.J. Rockman tells of an extreme example citing the experience of 21 minors and i mean minors not minors minors is then like people who mine like grown men who work in a mine yeah these minors were trapped underground for 14 days during which six of the miners died of suffocation where did this take place i don't know oh after their rescue 10 of the miners were studied for 10 years all but one were greatly affected by the experience, and six developed phobias to confining or limiting situations. That one guy is hard as nails. The only minor who did not develop any noticeable symptoms was the one who acted as leader. Huh? Isn't that interesting? Huh. Yeah. He's the right man to be leader, I guess. The human brain is very interesting. I drank that beer a little too quickly. I don't <laughs> regret it. It's delicious. There is research that suggests that claustrophobia isn't entirely a classically conditioned or learned phobia. It is not necessarily an inborn fear, but it is very likely uh, what is called a prepared phobia. As Aaron Gersley says in Phobias, Causes and Treatments, <laughs> humans are genetically predisposed to become afraid of things that are dangerous to them. Sure. Claustrophobia may fall under this category because of its wide distribution, early onset, and seemingly easy acquisition, and its non-cognitive features. The acquisition of claustrophobia may be part of a vestigial evolutionary survival mechanism, a dormant fear of entrapment, and or suffocation that was once important for the survival of humanity and could be easily awakened at any time. Makes sense to me. You say vestigial? I think vestigial tail. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Hostile environments in the past would have made this kind of pre-programmed fear necessary, and so the human mind developed the capacity for efficient fear conditioning to certain classes of dangerous stimuli. Makes total sense. Sure. The diagnosis. Mm -hmm. uh, do you flip the fuck out when you're in a small place or think about being in a small place? You probably have claustrophobia. That's what the doctor said. That's it. That's how the test goes. <laughs> Question A, do you flip the fuck out when you're in a confined space? Answer A, B, C, or D. You got claustrophobia. Yes, some of the time, most of the time, none of the time. Mm -hmm. While that's a good indicator, there exists uh, like actual legitimate tests that can measure and determine anxiety levels, uh, which offer a more accurate diagnosis. Okay. So there, there are tests in place that can diagnose you. Treatment. There's uh, cognitive therapy, 
It is a widely accepted form of treatment for most anxiety disorders. It's also thought to be particularly effective in combating disorders where the patient doesn't actually fear a situation, but rather fears what could result from being in such a situation. Uh. The ultimate goal of cognitive therapy is to modify distorted thoughts or misconceptions associated with whatever is being feared. The theory is that modifying these thoughts will decrease anxiety and avoidance of certain situations. For example... Yes. Cognitive therapy would attempt to convince a claustrophobic patient that elevators are not dangerous, but are, in fact, very useful in getting you to where you would like to go faster. So you're just exposing it. It's like with um, arachnophobia, how there's like treatments where they'd like put you in a room with a spider. That is actually a little bit different. I'm going to talk about that because oh, okay. there's a different kind of therapy or treatment. Um, Continue. But... Uh, yeah, it's, it's just sort of kind of trying to convince you that they're not what you think they are. They're actually for these uses. Mm. So elevators aren't scary. They're actually, they exist for a good reason, to Here's get you where you need to go. a list of positives to right. outweigh your negatives. Exactly. Uh, a study conducted by S.J. Rockman showed that cognitive therapy decreased fear and negative thoughts or connotations by an average of around 30% in claustrophobic patients tested, providing... Uh, sorry, proving it to be a reasonably effective method. Then there's in vivo exposure, which is what you were describing. This method forces Uh, patients to face their fears mm. by complete exposure to whatever fear they're experiencing. This is usually done in a progressive manner, starting with lesser exposures and moving upward towards severe exposures. For example, a claustrophobic patient would start by going into an elevator and working up to an MRI. Hmm. Several studies have proven this to be an effective method. Uh, in combating various phobias, including claustrophobia. S.J. Rockman has also tested the effectiveness of this method in treating claustrophobia and found it to decrease fear and negative uh, thoughts or connotations by an average of nearly 75%. That's a pretty good average. In his patients. Of the methods he tested in this study, this was by far the most significant reduction. Hmm. And then lastly, there's interoceptive exposure. This method attempts to recreate internal physical and sensations within a patient in a controlled environment and is a less intense version of in vivo exposure. This was the final method of treatment tested by S.J. Rockman in his 92 study. It lowered fear and negative thoughts and connotations by about 25%. So I guess it's similar to in vivo, but they're not exactly putting you in situations that would trigger this claustrophobia. Um, Just similar situations that might trigger a similar sort of response. Gotcha. And then lastly, uh, some tips for uh, managing claustrophobia, if you, listener, suffer from it. Um, We'll do these together. Take deep breaths one to to three times. Then focus on safe things like the time on your watch. I was thinking about bounce houses. Bounce houses are safe for you? Yeah. A lot of people get injured in those. Well, I mean, just stupid people. <laughs> uh, I don't know. It's an it's it's mid- inflated building. It's midnight 43, according to my watch. My watch says the same thing. Okay. Remind yourself repeatedly that your fears and anxieties will pass. Time is not safe. Time is a man-made thing. My fears and anxieties will pass. My fears and anxieties will pass. <laughs> If I had to repeat that to myself, I would have another panic attack. <laughs> My fears and anxiety will pass. It's irrational to challenge what triggers your attack by repeating the fear. And imagine and focus on a place or moment that calms you down. Just imagining someone going, claustrophobia, claustrophobia, claustrophobia. <laughs> don't, don't do it. Don't think about it. But uh, where is your happy place? Think about your happy place. That's what you're supposed to do. Take deep breaths. What think do you immediately place. think of when you say happy place? Ludington. Really? Yeah. I think of a beach. Well, Ludington's got a beach. I'm thinking of like a tropical beach. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like seashells, an actual beach. Like I can hear the waves. Mm-hmm. I mean, I last time I went to Ludington, I stood at the beach probably for like 20 minutes just standing there and just with my eyes closed, just listening. Let it wash over and you. smelling yes. the clean air. Need to go back to a beach. It's so nice. So yeah, this is my happy place as long. I miss the ocean. Mm-hmm. That's all I got. That's it? Yep. Damn. I have a couple stories pertaining to claustrophobia in, I guess, different ways. 
Oh, well, it's just claustrophobic situations, let's okay. just say. So Nicholas White was stuck in an elevator for 41 hours. I think I remember seeing this. It was a pretty popular story, but... October 15th, 1999. Mm-hmm. Nicholas White was working at the McGraw-Hill building in New York City and went down to the ground level to have a smoke. After having his nicotine hit, he headed back up to his 43rd floor office via an express elevator that skips floors 1 through 39. On his way up, the elevator unexpectedly stopped. He hit the alarm and waited. Nothing. He looked around in his 6 by 6 prison, and there was no warning text, no elevator emergency phone. He waited some more. Wow. Time passed. No one came. At some point, he started to get desperate, so he tried to pry the doors open in an attempt to climb down the shaft. Yeah. Uh, but however, because it's an express elevator, he was met with just concrete walls because it skips all those floors, so there's no opening. And this was before cell phones. Yeah, He was forced to wait into the night and then overnight, then all day the next day. He had nothing but three matches, his wallet, and some cigarettes. No food, no water, no bathroom, and no indication that anyone was making any effort whatsoever to get him out. All he could do was pace around in dead silence. He kept the alarm going for as long as possible, but the constant ringing caused him to have auditory hallucinations. Oh, sure. Jeez. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that just gives me anxiety, because he's probably thinking... Like, I'd be thinking, I don't know if I'm ever going to be saved. Mm-hmm. This is how I die. There's actually know? a video of him compressed into three minutes that you can watch on YouTube. Yeah. At two minutes, you see him try to climb out the top hatch. It was locked and repeatedly opened the doors as if as if some point he'd magically be able to get somewhere. Yeah. Uh, and then there's other points where he's peeing down the shaft. Yep. Um, none of the security guards paid close atten- attention to the video feeds to notice that there was a guy frantically trying to escape. Um, five different shifts went by the man trapped in plain sight until finally someone noticed that, wait a second, there's a dude sleeping on the floor on one of those elevators. At first, the security guard thought a bum had sneaked into the building. So he buzzed the intercom to ask what was going on after white determined that it wasn't God speaking, but an idiot security guard. (laughs) He showed his ID to the camera and a mechanic was sent to free him. The building staff couldn't get that right, though. When the elevator doors opened and White could see further than six feet in any direction for the first time in 41 hours, he burst out into the hallway only to see that the maintenance crew was waiting for him at the wrong elevator door. He ended up suing. Yep. (laughs) The case ended up dragging on for four years until a homeless, penniless, and jobless White settled for a small, undisclosed sum. Oh, my gosh. Some booty. Jesus. A French grandmother got stuck in the bathroom for three weeks. Oh, that sucks. This happened in a Paris suburb where after using the facilities and trying to leave, she found that her door lock was broken. While busting down jammed doors may be simply an inconvenience for a burly Olympic athlete, it's a much longer task, it's a much tougher task for a 69-year-old grandmother. Understood. Days passed with no phone. She tried to alert neighbors to her distress by banging against the pipes at night, but all it did was annoy them. They had no idea the noises were a cry for help and instead assumed the apartment complex was undergoing late-night construction. At one point, a group of tenants started a petition to end the presumed maintenance work, and it was keeping them awake. After almost three weeks of noise, someone finally caught on when they noticed the woman's absence and a stack of gathering mail. By the time French firefighters broke through to free the woman from her apartment, she had been trapped for 21 days. Or 20 days. I don't know why I said 21. 20 days? 20 days. In her bathroom? In her bathroom. I mean, well, okay, you've got water. I don't know how long a human can survive with no food. Quite a bit. It's really just the water oh that you need. Oh, my God. See, this is why it's important to understand um, the... Morse code? What did you just... What are you saying in Morse code right now? SOS. Oh. Ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba. Pop, pop, pop. See, if you tap rhythmically like that, someone will, hopefully, some, if someone yeah, can Yeah, I would you. think if you're just banging, yeah. people would assume something negatively. But someone if you're tapping, they'd probably assume either right. ghost or something's <laughs> going on. There's a demon. There's a demon that knows jazz rhythms. <laughs> a 91-year-old got locked inside a bank vault. Another French person. 
French people cannot be trusted with locked doors. Was she trying to rob the bank vault? You're about to find out. Ooh. The 91-year-old French woman was in on her way to do some business at the nearest BNP Paribus, Paribus Bank. So like Vincent and Daltman. <laughs> I'm just going to do some business. I'm doing some business. The bank employee locked the vault after leaving the woman inside to her safety deposit box, which is most likely bank protocol. What was not bank protocol, however, was having an epic brain fart and forgetting about the customer, leaving her in there for the rest of the day. They left her in there and turned out the lights, leaving her without any way to alert anyone of her predicament since she was 91 years old and didn't own a cell phone. Oh, my goodness. A 91-year-old in a bank vault. The, because this was Saturday, the bank did not reopen till Tuesday. Ah, uh, no. Because Europe. Her son was worried after not hearing from his mother for a whole day and called the authorities. After retracing her steps and visiting um, the places that she normally frequented, they wound up at the bank. And after some frantic calls, the bank manager arrived and was at long last able to get the vault open the next morning at 10 a.m. Wow. She only suffered from a bit of dehydration. Yeah. People keep getting forgotten in solitary confinement. Really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Exactly. That's why I said it. Daniel Chong was a college student. He was hanging with his buddy who happened to be the friendly neighborhood drug dealer. While Chong was chilling on the couch, police crashed the buddy's house and took everyone to jail. After questioning, Chong was quickly identified as just a visitor and was put in solitary in a solitary cell to be dealt with later. And then he was completely forgotten about. Literally. It was just like how sometimes you'll stick something in the microwave and then get distracted and forget about it until hours later. <laughs> Only it was a human being. Uh-huh. They forgot about him for four days. How in the world? He was stuck in a windowless cell without food or water, still handcuffed. He started having hallucinations on day three. Of course. Convinced that he'd been left to die and distraught at not being able to talk to his family one more time, Chong tried to carve a message to his mother into his body. Finally, officers became curious about the weird banging in what was supposed to be an empty cell. They opened the door to find Chong covered in his own filth. He was rushed to the hospital and spent five days recovering from dehydration, kidney failure, cramps, and a perforated esophagus. He was also 15 pounds lighter. Oh, my God. The DEA issued an apology and gave Chong a $4 settlement as a sort of, sorry for almost killing you. That's giving me anxiety. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Steven Slevin, in 2005, was pulled over in rural New Mexico for a suspected DUI. Normally, this means an overnight stay while you sober up, but Slevin showed signs of mental illness, and the police feared he was a suicide risk, so they stuck him in solitary confinement. And then once again, they kind of just left him there. Days passed, and then weeks. Weeks turned into months. Slevin wasn't allowed to shave and was only rarely allowed to shower. His clothes were rotting off his body, and the prison staff refused to give him more. Every day, prison staff walked by his cell and gave him food, but ignored his increasingly desperate attempts to get help. After his tooth started to rot, they refused him a trip to the dentist, so Slevin had to pull it out himself. (laughs) What the fuck? He was in there for nearly two years. At that point, they just dropped the charges and set him free, though. The county had no explanation for why Slevin was left there. At one point, he had been transported to a mental hospital and inexplicably returned to his cell in solitary. And when he sued, he won $22 million, but settled for a lesser amount on appeal. <sighs> just wait. Andres Thomas, or Tomas, who was just one of millions of POWs in World War II. He had fought for the Germans and was captured by the Soviets in 1944. The problem was that Tomas went nuts while in the gulags and thus lost the ability to tell anyone who he was or why he was there. After he got transferred to a mental hospital, the Soviets eventually forgot too. With the war long over, the staff who knew the truth, that he was a Hungarian POW who didn't speak Russian, moved on to different assignments or just retired. Years passed, and eventually there was no one left who knew Tomas's case history, and they were too lazy to check his files. Hmm. They were content that there was a crazy man who spoke no Russian, only a weird gibberish, and left it at that for half a century. It wasn't until the late 90s that a visiting foreign doctor recognized that Tomas was actually speaking Hungarian and not an alien tongue he was making up on the fly. Crapping, <laughs> crapping. <laughs> Cracking open his medical file for the first time in decades, the doctor found his case history and quickly notified the authorities in Budapest. 
The POW finally returned home to a hero's welcome where he was dubbed the last prisoner of World War II. Holy shit, I never heard about that one. Wild, right? Unbelievable. I got a couple more for you. <laughs> Ag- Agawam? Agawam, Massachusetts? On October, uh, August 7th, 1999. I drank that beer a little too fast. <laughs> At the Riverside Amusement Park. It is now called Six Flags New England. At around 9.30 p.m., a raft on the park's Blizzard River ride suddenly capsized. Eight belted-in passengers were trapped face down in a 2.5 in 2.5 feet of water. That was all it took. While park employees did manage to get some of the riders out before rescuers showed up, the riders, including at least two young children and a, pu- a pregnant woman, nearly drowned. And several were left hospitalized in critical condition. One rider suffered a brain injury and another was left with permanent physical injuries. In 2001, the eight riders sued the park owners and the manufacturers of the ride. The plaintiffs argued that the defendants should have known of the risk since a woman died in a similar incident in Texas earlier in 1999. Also, the park employees seated the three heaviest passengers all on one side of the raft, only exacerbating the risk. How are you going to tell people who nearly died, who had a near-death experience, who suffered physical and I, I, I don't... The things you do to cover your ass. Yep. I can't. Yeah, the things lawyers will do to win a case. Mm. I mean, that's their job, but it's like, oh my. Oh my God. Well, you should have known someone almost died on this other time they went on this thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, also, like, what are the odds of you hearing about that story in Texas? Like, really? Cave diving is a dangerous hobby. True. It's not meant for novice scuba divers. Novice? Novice. I say novice. Is it novice? It's novice. I like novice more. (laughs) Diving in Eagle's Nest near Tampa, Florida is even more so. Divers must descend from what looks like an unassuming pond down to a network of one uh, one mile of passages, some as deep as 300 feet from the surface which is essentially the Mount Everest of cave diving. Mm. It has claimed lives in the past. Patrick Peacock and Chris Rittenmeyer, two experienced cave divers, submerged into Eagle's Nest on October 15, 2016. They had dived there the previous day without incident. The men knew the dangers, and when they dove into the cave at around 2 p.m., a safety diver named Justin Blakely waited closer to the surface for them. Peacock and Rittenmeyer were due to meet back up with Blakely at 3 p.m. The two did not show. Blakely checked back at the meeting location every 30 minutes until 6 p.m. when he called for help. Rescue divers were unable to find Peacock and Rittenmeyer that evening. A team of divers finally found the two men's bodies near each other the next day, 260 feet down in an exceptionally dangerous part of the cave. Rittenmeyer and Peacock are the ninth and 10th people to die in Eagle's Nest since 1981. Wow. In the summer of 2012, in Florida, in the Twin Caves, a father and his college-aged son and daughter decided to dive into the cave. The father was an open-water scuba diving instructor, but none of the three were certified for cave diving. A group of cave divers exiting Twin Caves as the open-water trio entered recounted how their open-water style kicking disturbed lots of silt in the already generally silty cave. With visibility fast deteriorating, the cave divers quickly made sure their own lines were secure. Before long, the son bumped into one of them and was guided to the surface. The father soon emerged, but the daughter did not. The cave divers called for rescue. Fortunately, nearby was Ed Sorensen, an expert cave diver and rescuer who right then was teaching a diving class. He ended his class and rushed to Twin Caves with his gear. There he found a 60-foot circle of mud where Twin was supposed to be. Wasting no time, Sorensen secured his line and began a zigzag search in zero visibility. He soon found the daughter, her face barely above water in a small air pocket on the cave ceiling. She had left the pocket several times to try to surface, but she could not see a thing. Sorensen guided her out. Hmm. Before 2012, only four lost cave divers had been successfully rescued until Sorensen saved four people in that year alone. August 12, 2000. Russia was conducting a large-scale naval exercise among the 33 vessels in the Barents Sea. That day was the Kursk, an Oscar-class nuclear submarine. 
The Kursk was highly regarded. Boasts, boasts included that it could withstand a direct torpedo hit, that it could engage entire groups of U.S. ships, and that it was unsinkable. They said that about the Titanic, too. Yeah. It is believed that during the exercise, fuel leaking from a damaged torpedo triggered an explosion. The subsequent fire caused five to seven torpedoes to explode, ripping the sub open. It came to rest on the seabed 354 feet below the surface, surface roughly 84 miles off the coast of Severo, Severomorsk, Severomorsk. Yeah, I've heard of it. Thanks. <laughs> Bad weather hampered Russian rescue attempts for days while they initially refused to admit that any disaster had occurred. Russia was also wary of accepting foreign help, given the advanced nature of the Kursk, but eventually relented. On um, August, I don't know why, every time I read August, I want to say October. It starts with a different letter. I know. I don't know what the association is. They finally admitted that the crew was dead. Not all of the 118 men aboard the Kursk died immediately, however. Norwegian divers found that 23 men had survived for some amount of time in the Kursk's aft compartment. There are reports of tapping sounds coming from the wreck on August 13th. The tapping was said to stop on August 14th. A letter found on Lieutenant Captain Dmitry Koloniskov provided details of the trapped man's final days, painting a picture of dropping temperatures, dimming lights, leaking water, and fouling air. Some men were badly burned, and others had been injured by flying debris. Dmitry wrote, none of us can get to the surface. Hmm. Sad. The kinds of emotions you must go through when you're in a situation like that. It's got to be traumatic if you make it out alive. Like, that shit affects you, your, like, the rest of your life. Truly terrifying. It's chilling. It's like you have nightmares about that stuff, you know? Gosh. Hundred P. Hundo P. <laughs> what did you think of the beer? I thought it was phenomenal. Yeah? That's so lovely to hear. Yeah, no, that, that 93 rating it got um, is well-deserved, very accurate, and um, I loved it. It was very, it was just well-balanced. I got no complaints about it. I didn't have anything bad to say about it. I would drink all four of these, you know? I would get another if I got this at a bar. Um, delicious. And uh, I give props to Saint Laurent, who are an underappreciated, likely underappreciated, small microbrewery in the Chicago area. Doesn't yet have a tap room, but they know what they're doing. I agree, but I'm going to put it on the scale of would I get it again at a bar? Hmm. I would not. Mm -hmm. Very rarely do I get another beer. Right. That's the same flavor. Right. Very, very rarely. You, uh, you said you were going to mention something and save it till the that end. That was that. Oh, that was that? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, no, that uh, that makes sense. You've definitely... I mean, when I'm when I'm out, like, you know, we went to Crafted before. I think the last time we went to Crafted, we each got like two or three beers. Mm-hmm. And we, like, you know, I'm, I'm with you. I like to try different things. Um, But this is phenomenal. It's great. I highly recommend it. It is very well done. St. Laurent, Terror Dome. You will not be disappointed. It's a great beer to share with people. I don't know, you know, just, if you find a beer that you like, pass it on. Pass it along. Show people what it what, what it's all about. Uh, if you missed it, we released our main episode and a bonus episode last week. Our bonus episode was on LGBT uh, to wrap up Pride Month for June. We had a beer by a local brewery for me from Elburn. It was phenomenal. And... Um, Definitely check that out because we included a uh, a couple links that you can go check out. All the proceeds of that beer goes to an organization that that uh, supports LGBTQIA plus communities. And then uh, we talked about Skeleton Key. Also, I want to mention them again, who uh, lost their brewery due to the storms that swept through the Chicago suburbs. We have a, a link to that as well. Check out our Facebook, Twitter where we, we added posts about that. We're also on Instagram. We post beers, uh, the beers that we try every week, tagging the brewery, talking about the beer, talking about our episode, shouting them out. We're also on Reddit. We have our own subreddit, r slash beer and fear cast, if you're a Redditor. 
And then you can send us emails to beerandfearcast at gmail.com. Uh, what is today? Oh, we're just starting July. I was going to add something, but no, I'll keep it a secret. Okay. That's fine. Beerandfearcast at gmail.com if you want to send us any emails. But we appreciate you listening. Thanks for sticking around. This was a fun episode. Even though it was super late at night, um, it was really cool. I like the beer. I like the topic. A lot of interesting stuff. Mm-hmm. Very good. Anything you want to add? Have a good day. We got swears.